out today, it's a different place, all the same with a new face, with strange mysteries hanging in the air, people in their sane minds swear they see you today, are you looking for the love they took away, everyone knows that you couldn't bear the pain, so you took your life in the falling rain. Ghoulish greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard are, as always, courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey. And, of course, I am your host, Tessa Morrow. Today we find ourselves in southeastern Massachusetts, just 30 miles from Boston. The Bridgewater Triangle was coined by an author and cryptozoologist named Warren Coleman sometime in the 1970s. The triangle is also featured in one of his many books titled Mysterious America. Now, the point of the triangle is Freetown, Rehoboth, and Abington. The span is around 200 miles, so a decent size for sure. Now, this site has long since been reported to have extreme paranormal and supernatural activity, which includes sightings of UFOs, encounters with supposedly gigantic serpents that would make an anaconda look tiny, Thunderbirds, and Bigfoot. They've all been seen here as well, and much, much more. One location within the triangle that really just grabbed my attention, and in fact, it was going to be the sole topic of this episode until I came upon what was Bridgewater Triangle, is the Freetown State Park, located where the notorious Lizzie Borden house is. That's right, guys, Fall River. Yes, a place that has been on my bucket list for quite some time. And I know I have some listeners from that area, so thank you, everybody. This forest is believed to be cursed. It's actually the largest in Massachusetts, with an impressive 5,441 acres. It's a great place for visitors and locals alike to go and enjoy the day. The forest has over 50 miles of dirt roads, paths, and trails winding throughout that area. Fall River's Freetown State Park has experienced devastation throughout the years. In 1976, a fire destroys 500 acres. And just four years later, in 1980, another fire takes place, burning 230 acres. In 1983, a newborn baby is found dumped in a trash can on the highway, which borders the forest. I didn't see anything about the baby dying, so I'm hoping that it survived and went to a good family and living a great life today, fingers crossed. In the 1980s, satanic cults were thought to roam the area, and sadly, animal sacrifices were taking place within the forest. There were these suspicious little areas that would just be found that were completely clear of any sort of vegetation and splattered with blood. And around this time, cattle mutilations were also taking place, their bodies littering the forest ground. In 1988 and 1991, fires break out, burning 50 acres each. 
In 2006, rogue, aggressive dogs were roaming the forest grounds. And in addition to this, an emu called the forest home for a time and was notoriously known for running around and charging at people and chasing people. Very aggressive manner. So unsure if it was a pet who that escaped or what the hell happened there. But yeah. 2006, crazy year for wildlife. In 2016, wire is found stretched out on some of the roads. And this was believed that some demented person or group of people had done this in hopes that maybe somebody on a motorbike would be injured or even decapitated. It's happened before. I'm not saying it's happened before there, but it's happened before. Very horrible way to go, that's for sure. Now, this was obviously taken very, very seriously by the authorities, and this statement was released. Quote, People who live near or use state-owned recreational trails are being warned not to tie wires across the public paths in an attempt to stop off-road motorized bikes the Department of Conservation and Recreation said. After receiving reports made by members of the public, the Department of Conservation and Recreation and the Massachusetts Environmental Police issued a warning to all off-highway motorcycle riders and other users of wire cables being tied across trails with the intent to cause serious harm, said DCR spokesman Troy Wall. The warning is being posted around the southeastern region of the state including recreational trails in F. Gilbert Hills State Forest, in Foxborough, Franklin State Forest, Rentham State Forest, and Freetown State Forest, unquote. So if by any chance anyone listening to this frequents any of those devastatingly gorgeous areas, and you notice something like that, it is advised still to this day to call the environmental police at their 24-hour phone line at 1-800-632-8075 or at the DCR's Park Watch hotline at 1-866-759-2824. Tragedy strikes in 1978 when a 15-year-old girl named Mary Lou Aruda is kidnapped September of that year. In November, sadly, her body is discovered tied to a tree in Freetown State Park. September 8th of 1978, well, it just starts like any other day, really, I'd imagine. Mary Lou, she really enjoyed riding her bike around her neighborhood, her safe haven, or what she thought would be her safe haven, right? She jumps on her bike for a ride and takes off for, unbeknownst to her or anybody else, the last time. She is never seen alive again. And not too long after her disappearance, her bike is located. A man named James Catter is found guilty for her murder. And he dies in 2016 due to cancer. I hope it was painful, just like Mary Lou's murder. Now, in 1980, just two years after Mary Lou's kidnapping and murder, another murder would take place, which remains unsolved to this day. Some believe this death to be connected to the Fall River cult killings. In 1987, for reasons unknown, a homeless man falls victim to a case of a very extremely unfortunate mistaken identity. It was believed by the murderer that he was an undercover police officer, and sadly, he pays the ultimate price, his life. 
poor guy. I mean, first of all, he's homeless. Life is already very tough for this man. And then just, man, talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time, for sure. Now, in 1998, a young boy is found naked in the forest. He had been badly beaten. And in 2001, two men are found shot to death on Bell Rock Road, which happens to go right through Freetown State Park. Now, it is said that President Reagan himself was at some point in Freetown Forest when he sees the strange, bizarre light up in the sky hovering over the forest. Now, when I tried to look more into Reagan's encounter, I didn't really find any specifics when it came to Freetown. What I did find, though, was very interesting. And it has to do with him, at the time being governor for California, in 1974, and he's in a plane en route to Bakersfield, and they are in the Merced area, when they suddenly see this mysterious ball of light following the plane. Now, Reagan asks the pilot, who is an Air Force colonel, to please follow that light, because he's very curious about it. And they do just that. They follow this strange, mysterious ball of light for quite some time. Now, upon landing, the very first words that came out of Ronald Reagan's mouth is, I just saw a UFO. Since then, he was a believer and would be until his death. So I am unsure if the locations got mixed up and he had one experience or if the man had two separate experiences with unidentified flying objects. But either way, he was an avid believer due to what he saw that fateful day in California. While on the topic of UFOs, I found this on paranormalencyclopedia.com, and it reads this, quote, May 10th, 1760, a sphere of fire was reported to hover over New England and emit a light so bright that it cast shadows in the morning sun. Reportedly, the light was seen from both Bridgewater and Roxbury. Since then, the area spawned a diversity of reports that include paranormal events that range from ghost dancers to UFOs to cryptozoological sightings. So all of this up to this point has happened in Freetown State Park. But as we know, Bridgewater Triangle consists of many locations that just have some weird things taking place. Another area that is active within the Triangle is the Bridgewater State University. In 1924, a fire destroys several of the structures. Now, according to Haunted Places, rumor has it that this campus is haunted by a past headmaster who mostly sticks to Tilly Hall, as that's where she supposedly died. Legend has it that she was on the roof catching some of Tilly Hall's residents and reprimanding them as nobody should really be on the roof. I mean, come on, kiddos, where are we? In high school? Tragedy strikes when she falls off the roof. Yes, people have definitely experienced some strange things in Tilly Hall. Another active spot on campus is Shea Durgan Hall. Many students have experienced odd happenings on the fifth floor. Furniture moving around all on its own. And this is a weird one. Soda and beer cans are found to be stacked on top of one another. 
and like perfect little towers. Very weird. And complaints often pour in about the water, which will be a normal temperature at first, but then goes to piping hot or freezing cold. Either way, neither is good. Many apparitions have been seen on the main campus. And there is a story here as well. Story goes that a young woman was murdered by her deranged, jealous boyfriend who strangles her to death. Many people have claimed to have heard angry voices, as if fighting with each other. This is then followed by gag-like sounds. Staff and students have also felt just a really weird and negative energy in that area as well. The next location that I want to talk about in Bridgewater Triangle is the Taunton State Hospital, located in Taunton, Massachusetts. Established in 1854, it was originally called the State Lunatic Hospital at Taunton. In 1994, the State Hospital was added to the National Register of Historic Places as a historic district. Now, supposedly, a close-knit circle of demented doctors and nurses were secretly conducting odd experiments on poor, unfortunate patients down in the basement area. Now, if this did actually happen, it was long ago, and these culprits, I imagine, would be long dead and buried. Research does show that certain doctors would take patients out from their respective wards and that they would never be seen again. No report on death, no death certificate, no burial, no checking them out. They just simply vanished without a trace. Taunton State Hospital was home to lobotomies and electroshock. Now, countless patients have come through here, but there are two that I want to talk about. And really, when I say patients, I mean inmates, dangerous, dangerous people, these two individuals. The first being Jane Toppin. She was born with the name Honora Kelly. Well, let's just say that there's nothing honorable about this individual. She was a monster who would leave a trail of bodies behind in her wake. This serial killer has at least 12 confirmed murders, between 1895 and 1901. But who knows, the number is probably much, much higher. We as people, we all have goals in our lives, right? Dreams that we would like to turn into a reality if possible. Well, Jane's wish was to murder more helpless people than any other human being has ever been able to accomplish in their life. That's creepy. How can someone be so excruciatingly cruel and hateful. While there are 12 confirmed murders under her belt, she confesses to 31 that she committed during her time as a nurse. A nurse, you know, is somebody that people tend to respect and trust. They're putting their lives into these people's hands. Jane's mom, Bridget, she dies due to tuberculosis when she's just a very young girl, leaving her in the care of her alcoholic, temperamental father, Peter. She is only six years old when Peter abandons her, dropping her off at the Boston Female Asylum, never to be seen again. Look, I get it. It sucks that not everybody can have a good life. It's not fair. Life is not fair. 
I consider myself very fortunate that I was born and raised into a very loving family with a very amazing mother and father and siblings. And I'm grateful for that to this very day. Every day, I count my blessings. I do feel sadness that not everybody gets to experience that. Saying that, though, that does not give somebody the right to murder, to take another life. You have a shitty life, or what you believe to be a shitty life. Turn it around. Do things to better yourself, to better your situation if you can. But you don't take it out on others and become a serial killer. That, too, does not seem fair. So anyways, Jane, she works at a Cambridge hospital for some time. And during her time there, people really are enjoying her. She's a pleasure to be around. She's bubbly. She's happy. She even gains the nickname Jolly Jane. And I don't know when Jolly Jane converts and transforms into this murderous monster, or if the bubbly, happy woman was just a ruse. But there is no doubt that this woman simply adored killing. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. In 1895, she murders Israel Dunham. And in 1897, she takes out Israel's wife, a woman named Lovely. In 1899, she kills her own foster sister, a girl named Elizabeth, someone she had a bond with long ago. In that very same year, she kills a patient of hers, a woman named Mary. And as we jump into the 1900s, the number of murders just rise. In 1900 alone, she claims at least three lives, that being her foster sister's housekeeper, Florence, and two patients, William and Sarah. And she's rather busy in 1901 as she nearly wipes out one entire family when she kills a patient named Maddie and then moved into Maddie's home to care for the husband, Alden, and just weeks after Alden loses the love of his life, he will be joining his wife to the grave. Before he dies, though, he lives to sadly see his daughter Genevieve die, killed by, of course, Jane. A week after his death, his other daughter, Minnie, also falls victim to the heinous serial killer. I mean, it's just absolutely bonkers. Wife dies. Daughter dies. Husband dies daughter dies. She is unstoppable. You would think with four murders she just committed in such a short time that eh, she might need to catch a breath. Wait a little, you know? Wanting to take the rest of the year off, perhaps. No, no such luck. Not for a woman named Edna, anyways. Now, I believe Edna was Jane's sister, Elizabeth, who is another murder victim of her, of course, well, I believe that was Elizabeth's sister-in-law. Jane Toppin is found not guilty by reason of insanity, and she is committed for a life sentence in the Taunton Insane Hospital. And she dies there in 1938 at 84 years old. So that was one terrifying patient for the Taunton State Hospital. The second one I wanted to talk about is Anthony Santo. He's the other notable inmate that just really, ooh, 
very creepy dude. He was only 14 years old when he confesses to the murders of his two cousins, aged 18 and 12. He would share that in 1908 that him and his two cousins, James and Frank, they were going for a walk one day. The two boys were distracted with something. And mind you, one of them was four years older than him. Anyways, they were distracted, and for reasons unknown, Anthony finds it appropriate to grab a rock, and he hits his cousins, his own flesh and blood, with this larger rock. And James, he dies instantly, but Frank, he's still alive. He's injured, but he is still breathing. The sadistic 14-year-old, Anthony, finishes his cousin off with a pocket knife. Why would this young man do such a thing? He sadly would not be done. That same year, that being 1908, Anthony murders a six-year-old child. Her body is found in the creek behind her home. Several rocks were found at the scene with blood splattered all over them. What is this dude's fascination with rocks and using them as weapons? Like, by golly. Anthony Santo was born in Italy, and he was a young man when him and his family made the move to America. His family claimed that when he was just six years old, he fell victim to scarlet fever, and that he almost didn't make it out of that, and it really just changed him. He was never the same after scarlet fever. Shortly before the three murders, he began to show signs of mental illness, Remember, he's only 14 years old when he committed these very adult-like crimes, these very heinous acts. Sadly, Anthony is never charged with the murders, and he is found incompetent to stand trial and is sent to Taunton's Ludendick Asylum, where it is said he passed away. One more location that I would like to talk about is the Bridgewater Hokomoke Swamp. Consisting of 16,950 acres, it is considered the largest freshwater swamp in Massachusetts. The meaning? The place where spirits dwell, also referred to as Devil's Swamp. Many people were said to have died here during the First Indian War, taking place in 1675, and into 76. Many odd occurrences take place here. Mysterious balls of light have been seen in the area. Also, many reports and sightings of Bigfoot have also been seen here in this area. In 1939, in the swamp area, a project is being worked on at King Philip Street, which is located really just at the edge of the swamp. When one day workers see what they described as being this huge snake, quote, as large around and black as a stovepipe, unquote. They say this large serpent was coiled up and then just kind of submerged itself into the swamp. So here's somewhat of a short timeline of some of the truly eerie and at times fatal events that take place throughout Bridgewater Triangle. In 1760, the sighting of the sphere of fire in the sky takes place. October 31st of 1908, a UFO sighting is reported. Then, of course, in 1939, we have the sighting of the large serpent in the swamp. 
1968, several people report seeing a mysterious ball hovering in the sky and floating throughout the trees. Many reports will come in of sightings of unidentified flying objects throughout the 1970s. UFOs are not the only odd thing to be seen. In 1972, reports come in of sightings from several seeing phantom lions and panthers. So many reports are purring in, (laughs) pun intended, that it cannot be ignored. And a lion hunt is organized by the authorities. Now, many believed this was just a mountain lion. Small animals and cattle had been killed throughout the area, and those who survive endure brutal attacks by a mysterious creature. Nothing is ever captured from this lion hunt, though, and the true identity? Well, it remains unknown. A mystery of time. And of course we have what I mentioned earlier, the disappearance of Mary Lou Arruda, September 8th of 1978. In the following month, that being October, A young woman named Lisa Arcudi is seen running barefoot in an East Bridgewater field. She is being chased by a man who will soon murder her. She is found shot four times, one being right through the heart. She is discovered just 15 feet away from the main road. On November 11th of 1978, Mary Lou's body is discovered. Three days later, a gunman holds a Bridgewater couple hostage for several hours. And on the 29th of the same month, yes, believe it or not, we are still in November, a man named James Cater is arrested for Mary Lou's murder. He had already done time for a vicious rape of yet another girl. In 1979, radio newsman Jerry Lopes, based out of Boston, he has an experience with a UFO one March evening, and he describes this as, quote, shaped like home plate on a baseball diamond with a bright red light on its top, a powerful white headlight at the point on the bottom, and rows of white and red lights around the edges, unquote. And on January 12th, 1979, just a couple months after Mary Lou's body was found, Diane Dion, she is waiting in a car as her daughter is in a nearby store doing some shopping when tragedy strikes. A man jumps into the car, which was on most likely due to the cold. It was still winter in Massachusetts, so, you know, chilly. And he hijacks the car and he kidnaps Diane. Well, her son-in-law happened to be police chief Benton Keene. And the following day, Diane's charred remains are heartbreakingly found in her car's trunk, very close to the Paul A. Deaver State School for the Mentally Retarded. She was burned beyond recognition. And in that area, two other cars were found also burned, and a third was riddled with shotgun pellets. New York Times reported on this heartbreaking case. Quote, Body burned beyond recognition was found in the trunk of charred car today by officers searching for the car in which the police chief's mother-in-law was abducted yesterday. Sergeant James Lucier said it could not be determined immediately whether the body was that of the missing woman, and there was no immediate word on whether the car was the one in which she was last seen. Earlier, 
The police said that Diane Dion, 62 years old, had been abducted while she sat in the car waiting for her daughter Beatrice Miller, another daughter of Mrs. Dion, is married to Benton Keene, Jr. Chief of the Norton Police. Unquote. Now, I believe her case remains unsolved to this very day, so a lot of stuff happening here at Bridgewater Triangle, from sightings of UFOs and Bigfoot, gigantic serpents and phantom lions, and so much more. This week's special city shout-outs go to Helsham, England, Comac, New York, Vandergrift, Pennsylvania, Apple Valley, California, Playa del Carmen, Mexico, and Gordo, Alabama. Thanks, everyone. As always, it is absolutely appreciated. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They're all phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to fret, my friends. Just hit up any of those phantasmic podcast platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, CastBox, Spotify, Basically, wherever you may roam to hear your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. Thanks, everybody, and I will see you next week. Yeah.